Well, if you were here with us last week, then you know that we finished John's Gospel. Well, that is through chapter 20, uh, where he ends with a powerful purpose statement. And you know, it really would be a great way to end the book on a high note. I mean, think about the high notes that the other gospel writers end with. Uh, Matthew ends with the resurrection, the Great Commission. Uh, Similarly, uh, Mark ends with the resurrection and the Great Commission. Luke, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And John, well, he ends with chapter 21. The disciples are fishing, eating a meal together with Jesus, dealing with relational repair. And you know, it seems like John already had the perfect ending in his gospel in chapter 20. With this clear, profound, concise purpose statement. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The end. Right? Wrong. No, John ends his gospel with chapter 21, and it's very different uh, from the way the other gospel writers uh, end theirs. And it got me to thinking, and so I I need a show of hands for this, but how how many of you like movies based on true stories or real-life documentaries? Show of hands? Okay, like first service, a majority of people. I love them. And you know, even if, it's a, even if it's a subject matter that I'm not all that interested in, if it's a story told well, and I know that it's true, I'm just I'm captivated by it. But do you ever get to the end of one of those? And all of a sudden the credits roll. And you start to wonder, yeah, 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 but, but what happened to those people? You know, what, what happened to, to everybody after that great moment? What happened? What happened next? And so that's when I'm grateful for the ones that before they get to the credits, ah, the epilogue. The epilogue, it lets me know that so-and-so went on to do this and that. They currently live here and they're doing this and hope to do that. I love when they tell me what happened next. And you know, that's what John does with chapter 21. It's an epilogue. What happened after the central moment, the central event in all of human history? Life continues, and Jesus is still present. Well, our text this morning is John chapter 21, uh, verses 1 to 14. It's the first half of that chapter. Uh, If you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, You'll probably find it on page 907, though I understand we have some new Bibles, and it might be on a different page. But regardless, it'll be right after chapter 20 in John. So before we hear this part of chapter 21, this part of God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Our good and gracious God, we do thank You. We thank You once again for Your Word. We thank You for revealing Yourself to us in the very pages of the Bible. And so we once again look to you, look to you now and ask that you 
by the power of your Spirit, would open our eyes that we might see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 21, uh, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now? Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so too with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this is God's word. Well, so we see here that after the resurrection, Jesus is still teaching his disciples. Still teaching his disciples and still teaching us. Still profound lessons to be learned. Now you may have noticed as I read through the passage, uh, there are two scenes. And so that's how we're going to look at the story this morning. Uh, The first half, lessons on a boat. And the second half, lessons at breakfast. So we start scene one, lessons on a boat, uh, verses one to eight. Now, the the Passover, the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's over now. And so some of the disciples have returned home to Galilee. Uh, We read that there are seven of them all together, and those named are from Galilee, presumably the other two as well. Now, Jesus had told them that he would meet them there, but whether or not they remember this, we don't know. 
Most of these men were fishermen by trade. And so now they're back at the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. It's about 70 miles or so north of Jerusalem where they had been. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. The others decide to join him, and they fish all through the night. And they fish at night when fish would be feeding closer to the surface. And also because fish caught at night could be sold fresh in the morning. And so here we have these professional fishermen finally getting back to what they do well. What they really haven't been doing much of over the past three years since they started following Jesus. And here they are, professionals, and they fail. And they fail miserably. They catch nothing. Well, just as day was breaking, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. You know, and and I realize it it may seem strange to us that they didn't recognize Jesus. I mean, come on, guys. You, You saw him die. Then you were surprised because he was raised from the dead, and he has already appeared to you twice. The dead man, now alive, appearing to you twice. You don't forget a face like that. But you know, when you, when you read the text and you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, it, it, it's barely daybreak, so it's still pretty dark. They're a hundred yards offshore, uh, so they're pretty far away, at least for the naked eye to see, to recognize. And Jesus is having to yell across the water, 100 yards of water, which makes it harder to recognize any voice that you're used to. And on top of that, apparently they weren't expecting him. And so this man on the shore calls out, Children, haven't you any fish? And there's really, it's a, it's a negative question. The, the, the negative Uh, is there in the Greek. The negative is implied. Basically, you don't have any fish, do you? And these discouraged, defeated disciples answer, no. And so this, this man on shore, he calls out again. Well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And they do it. Why? I mean, maybe it was because they were too tired to argue Or maybe something inside of them instinctively responds to the voice of God, even though they don't realize it. But regardless, they do what this person on the shore says. And two things immediately happen. They catch a ton of fish, and they recognize Jesus. John exclaims, verse 7, It is the Lord... And of course, then Peter hears this, and he wraps his cloak around his waist, and he jumps into the water to swim to Jesus. He leaves the other disciples to row the boat back to shore, dragging this net full of fish. Well, so what what are some of the lessons that we learn here in this scene? Well, for one, we learn that Jesus often shows up when you least expect it. Jesus often shows up when you least expect it. Now, to be clear, just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean he's not there. 
Case in point, the disciples. In fact, he's always present, but the specific ways in which he makes himself known to us, they often happen when we least expect it. And so really the question is, why aren't we expecting it? Why aren't you expecting him to show up? Well, another lesson we learn is that you'll most often recognize Jesus when you follow his word. You'll most often recognize Jesus when you follow his word. You know, here we see that the disciples, they have spent so much time listening to Jesus over these past three years together that they simply follow his word when he speaks. And it's then, at that moment, that they recognize him. And you know, it's the same for us. If you spend time listening to the word of God, through regular prayer and Bible reading, you're much more likely to follow his word without thinking twice about it. You know, I I remember a seminary class of mine. I was taking a class that was on pastoral ethics. And, And throughout that class, you know, we began with the Ten Commandments, and then we looked at some other places in Scripture. But we, we were always taking these ethical dilemmas and looking at them from different perspectives, sometimes working individually, sometimes working as groups, and trying to figure out how do you, how do you decide here? What would you do? But I remember when we got to the last class, and the professor said, if you take only one thing away from this class, I hope it will be this. And then he said, the most significant thing you can do to grow in Christian ethics is to read your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Because that's how you learn to more naturally hear God's voice and thus more instinctively follow His Word. Well, one more lesson we learn here is that apart from Jesus... You can do nothing. Every skill we have, our ability to achieve, it's a gift. A gift of grace. So again, look at at the disciples. As one commentator notes, in the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish without Jesus' help. They can't even do the very thing they're supposed to be good at without his involvement. And here Jesus was pressing home what he had taught them in the upper room back in chapter 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, now maybe you sit there and you say, yeah, but but I can do this and that, no problem. Let's let's not over-spiritualize everything. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking, well, yeah, I'm doing it without God. Okay. Let's just take one of life's most basic tasks. One of life's most basic tasks that is shared by all of us all the time. Breathing. Breathing. You know, you usually do it without even thinking. But when push comes to, when push comes to shove... You've got to realize it's a gift. Every breath is a gift. It is a gift of grace, a gift 
of God's grace. If you can't breathe, you can't do anything. Apart from Jesus, you can't even breathe. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So let's move to the next scene. Scene two. Lessons at breakfast. Verses 9 to 14. I'm going to reread those verses for us. So picking up verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went on board and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so too with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so Peter swimming, the other guys rowing the boat. They finally, all of them, everyone is now finally back on shore. And to their surprise, Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. And even though breakfast is ready, Jesus invites the disciples to bring some of the fish they have just caught. Notice the emphasis. Jesus attributes the success to them. And gives them a chance to admire their catch. Truth is, they did catch the fish, right? Yeah, but they're also keenly aware that once again, just like the first miraculous catch when they were first called back in Luke 5, that once again it is Jesus, the God of all creation, who has brought the fish into their net. Well, Peter helps the other disciples haul the net ashore, and they are overwhelmed with this catch. Not a single small fish there. All. All of them large fish. They count them, 153 in total. And this time, the net wasn't even torn. So after admiring their catch and and taking inventory, like any seasoned fisherman would do, Jesus invites them to breakfast. He gives them the bread and the fish. They eat. Their hunger is satisfied. And you know, you've got to applaud the disciples here. Might be easy to miss, but there's one thing that John throws in here that, that I just love. And remember, John is one of them. He's been with Jesus and the rest of these guys over the last three years. And so he knows, and he's probably been one of them, but he knows that over the past, they have all said some pretty dumb things. And so he adds just a bit of humor, verse 12, expressing that they have learned not to ask dumb questions when the answer is perfectly clear. Hey guys, it's it's Jesus. Do not ask who it is. Okay? Let's not go there. So they've learned. That's good. Don't ask, don't ask Jesus if he's really Jesus. They've learned a lot, yes. But there is also still learning. Be done. 
and the same goes for us. And so as we look at this scene, what, what are some of the lessons learned here? Well, for one, we learn that Jesus provides more abundantly than you could ever imagine. Jesus provides more abundantly than you could ever imagine. You know, for starters, look at what the disciples hauled in. You know, it's clear from John's description that it is an enormous catch of fish. Usually fishermen would haul their nets full of fish onto their boats. Okay, it's a lot easier to, to sail if there's wind or to row if there's not. If all the fish are in the boat, a little bit smoother going, rather than dragging all this stuff below you. But we, as we've already seen, the disciples were not able to haul the net into the boat. This net full of fish because it was so full. And further, here we see that there were 153 in total, and that they're all large fish, all of them. So I, I grew up on Lake Lanier in northeast Georgia. It's about an hour north of Atlanta. I am not a fisherman or outdoorsman by any stretch. When it comes to water sports, I would prefer uh, water skiing, jet skiing, speedboat, that kind of thing. But... There were a lot of fishermen around on Lake Lanier. And so I got to see them, and I got to see a lot of big fish. And one of the things that a lot of these fishermen like to go after is largemouth bass. So a five-pound largemouth bass, that, that's a pretty big fish. Not huge, I know, for those of you that are fishermen, it's not huge. But it's a pretty big fish. So if you think about it this way, if these 153 large fish weighed anywhere between 4 to 6 pounds each, then the disciples would have hauled in between 600 and 900 pounds of fish. Friends, that's a lot of tuna. Well, another thing. Do you realize, have you recognized it in reading the story that Jesus has fed the disciples here before? Does it take you back to chapter 6? You know, it was there that Jesus not only fed the disciples, but also thousands of others who had come out just off the Sea of Tiberias to hear him teach. And God's abundant provision was on clear display at the feeding of the 5,000. Now, in that instance, Jesus took what little the disciples had and multiplied it to provide abundantly for everyone. But here, in this instance, Jesus takes the nothing the disciples had. And provides more abundantly for them than they could ever imagine. You see, through this miracle, God wants to strengthen their faith. Through this miracle, God wants to strengthen our faith. The very purpose statement of John's gospel. That we would believe and that we would keep on believing.
Becoming more convinced that as we hear in Ephesians 3, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or imagine. Believing more and more that as we hear in Philippians 4, that our God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Well, there's one more lesson we learn here. One more lesson we learn is that Jesus desires deep, abiding friendship with you. Jesus desires deep, abiding friendship with you. Now we've already learned about friendship with God. Jesus taught us about that back in chapter 15. And here Jesus, here Jesus wants to drive home His desire for ongoing communion, fellowship, relationship with His disciples. And Jesus invites the disciples to come and have breakfast. Now remember, sharing meals was a big deal in their culture. We've talked about it before, so I'm not going to go into it in depth. But you know, when you think about us today, I mean, we're, we're often, we have casual and quick kind of food events. You know, when, when we're on the run, when we need to eat, maybe you grab a bar on the way out of the house or you have a quick lunch. Maybe it's a working lunch so you can be productive. Uh, maybe you've got to get out of the house quick at night for some kind of activity. But then in their culture, there was none of that. Eating with others was a symbol of friendship. In fact, more than that, it was a pledge of friendship. And we get a glimpse into the depth of this friendship in one small but important detail given by John. What's the first thing they see when they get to shore? Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire. There are only two times that a charcoal fire is mentioned in the New Testament. Here in chapter 21 and also back in chapter 18. Back there in chapter 18, Peter was warming himself by a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus three times. I do not know this man. I have never seen him. I have no idea who he is. Well, here in chapter 21, Jesus invites Peter to return to the scene, so to speak, and to learn, to learn that he is truly forgiven and loved and accepted. Because remember, Peter jumped out of the boat. He jumped out of the boat. He swam. He got to the shore before the other disciples. And even though we don't have any record of it, Peter and Jesus had a few moments together just the two of them. 
The first time since Peter had denied Jesus. And Jesus doesn't deny Peter. Instead, Jesus welcomes him as a friend. Brothers and sisters, Jesus welcomes us in the very same way. He is not surprised by our sin, just as he wasn't surprised by Peter's denials. And he invites us continually to move towards him in our brokenness and to be embraced by him, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and I have called you friends. Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. And Jesus lives within you, you who by faith have put your trust in him. And he invites you to come and have breakfast. It's an invitation, an invitation to deep abiding friendship. Today and every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life for us that we might know true friendship with you. And so we pray now by the power of your spirit that you would grow us in trust of you and in love for you as we go out into the world with you to proclaim this good news.